Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So this weekend we're starting a new series, and the series is called Holier Than Thou. And we're talking about the holiness of God and why that's important to us. Um, it's interesting because when we talk about holiness, let me start with this. Uh, a lot of what we're talking through, um, it was highlighted in a book by a woman named Jackie Hill Perry. And the book is called Holier Than Thou as well. And it's a fantastic book. And I would encourage you, it might be one you have to read a couple times because there is some, some depth to it that you have to wade through a little bit. But it is a fantastic book. Um, and so I would encourage you to pick it up, find it on Amazon, uh, your local Christian bookstore. Is there a local Christian bookstore? I don't even know. Amazon. Go to Amazon, you'll find it there. Um, but it's interesting when we talk about holiness, and I grew up in, in a, oh, a tradition where holiness was really important. Um, and when we thought about holiness, I don't know about you, but we thought about being perfect, that our behavior had to shift and be modified, and it really became more about what we did than anything else. And we see this dichotomy between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where it seems to be Old Testament was about holiness of God, and the New Testament is about the grace that we find in Jesus. And, and it's one or the other, it's not both, is what we see many times, or we think that's what we see. And I want to help you over the next few weeks understand that holiness is something we pursue, not because we have to, but because we get to. Holiness can be legalistic. Um, We see in the New Testament, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus rebukes them because they are tithing their mint. Literally, they've got these little gardens and they're tithing off the mint, but they are missing the bigger points. So they're, they're trying to be holy, but in their efforts to be holy, they're really just legalistic and they're missing the bigger parts of who God is. So they're missing holiness by trying to pursue holiness. And really what they've discovered is legalism instead of holiness. Um, so that's really what we're unpacking over the next few weeks. That's what we're talking about. And uh, my hope is that this will set the tone for our year, that this will help us as a church pursue holiness in ways that we never have before. And we'll unpack what that means because that's got a lot of different meanings and a lot of different thoughts behind that. Let me start in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, uh, Moses was on Mount Sinai. He is receiving the law from the Lord, the Ten Commandments, and this is a big moment. It's important. This is God's written law, and next weekend we're going to talk a little bit more about the law and why that's important to us. Um, And so he's giving Moses the law. Moses is receiving the law, and he's having these interactions with the people. The people of Israel are down at the base of the mountain, and they're freaking out a little bit because God and his presence is manifest in such a way that it's intimidating. And so let me read this to you. This is Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 18. It says, when the people heard the thunder... And the loud blast of the ram's horn, there was, somebody was blowing a ram's horn up, in, up on the mountain, an angel of the Lord something, but they heard this ram's horn. And when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. So they see God moving, and they're terrified, rightly so. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak directly to us or we will die. 
They say, we, we don't want to get any nearer to him than we have to because they see his power. They see his authority. They recognize rightly that this is a God like, unlike any other God that they've ever experienced before. They had, they, they had spent 400 years in Egypt with all these false gods, um, all these literally hundreds of gods, and now here they are face to face with a God who could use nature to destroy them if he wanted to, and they're terrified because they didn't know God. And listen to what Moses said. He said, don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you, and so that you, your fear of him will keep you from sinning. Now, we'll unpack some of this, this idea later on next week, um, but this is, there's some truth to this. Um, I used to behave better knowing that my dad was coming home, or you know, my mom, she would threaten me, like, I'm going to skin your hide. And I'd be like, I will be good, right? The, the fear of punishment motivated my behavior, but it didn't necessarily change my heart. And what we see here is, um, if all we're after is, is behavior modification, it's probably not changing our heart. What God wants to do is transform our hearts. And that's what holiness does. So, so Moses said, hey, God wants you to be afraid enough of him that you won't mess with him, basically. But Moses isn't afraid, or he doesn't seem to be. Listen to what happens next, verse 21. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. Moses didn't hesitate to walk into that dark place where God was. He couldn't see what was going on. It was dark, this cloud, and he walks into the midst of it. He goes to be with God. And the reason he had perspective that the people didn't is he had spent time with God. He knew God, and so he could say, you don't need to be afraid of him. Yes, he is powerful. Yes, he is mighty. Yes, he could take our lives, but he is a good God. See, they hadn't experienced his goodness yet, so they couldn't recognize who he really was. So they were just afraid. And this is a normal response. In Psalm chapter 96, it says this. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. It's these, these two kind of separate ideas that the people of God who know God worship the Lord in all his splendor. And the word for splendor here is holiness. We worship God in his holiness. We recognize who he is because of his holiness, because of our relationship, and we can worship him. While people who don't know him are terrified of him. They're scared to death of him. They think, who is this God who acts like this and is like this? Um, what I want to do this weekend is just walk through a passage of scripture with you. And this is a scripture that if, if you've been around church for very long, you're probably at least somewhat familiar with it. And, and, and we're not going to go in terrible depth and detail. We just don't have a, enough time. But we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, uh, the prophet Isaiah, he was receiving a word from the Lord for the nation, for the people. They were in captivity and they were in sin. They had rebelled against the Lord. And because of that, God punished them and now they're in captivity. And we're gonna start in Isaiah chapter six and we're gonna start in verse five. And it says this, this is Isaiah talking. He said, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, angels, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. 
They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. The entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it is all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have, a filthy, I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king and the Lord of heaven's armies. What a powerful moment for Isaiah. He gets to experience something that, that very few people had gotten to experience. Now, most scholars believe he wasn't translated to heaven. He was having a vision. But have you ever woken up from a dream and you thought it was real? My wife's woken up from a few dreams mad at me. I'm like, what did I do? And she's like, you cheated on me. I'm like, in your dream, I didn't really cheat on you. And she's like, I know, but I'm still mad, right? I can't believe you do that to me. I wouldn't do that to you, right? But the dream feels real. And that moment becomes real. And he has this vision and his vision is real. He experiences it. And so let me just walk through a couple of these verses with you. He says in verse one, in the, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now this is important. We've talked about Uzziah a little in the past. Uzziah was, um, he became king at a very young age and he was an excellent king by all accounts until he got a little older and became prideful. And his pride caused him to uh, disobey God. He, he handled things he shouldn't handle. He went to light incense in the, on the the burnt incense on the altar, and he was not supposed to do that. That was reserved for priests. And when he did, the priests confronted him. And when, when that happened, God struck him with leprosy on his face, and he spent the rest of his life as an outcast king. But by all accounts, he was an excellent king up to this point. He had done lots of things for the kingdom. He had made lots of advances. He had a good heart and a good spirit. But then his pride led him to this place. So... His reign was very long, too. By, by those standards, he was a long-tenured king. There's a couple things we can infer from what he's saying here. First is this. We've got a timeline. We know when this happened because he says it was in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a notable figure. People knew who he was, and this was an anchor for people. When they read this, they could go, oh, I know when this happened. But it's something more than that as well because what we see in this context is the power and the majesty and the holiness of who God is. And what he's saying is our king is unlike any other king. Our king is not a king who will be dethroned someday. Our king is not a king who's going to die someday. See, King Uzziah, as good as he was for the, for the time, he died. And then there was a new king. We will never have a new king there is one king, it's King Jesus. He is above all kings. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is preeminent above all others. And this is what Isaiah, what we can infer from what Isaiah is saying. He goes on to say, he was sitting on a lofty throne. Um, there are some games you can play in business um, and you can read things like if you're doing a... a uh, Oh, like a personnel report or you're doing a year in review on somebody. And if you want to play games, it'll say, make sure your chair is a little higher than the person you're reviewing or negotiating with, you know, because it gives the sense that you are more powerful or you're over them, like the psychological games, right? This is not a psychological game that God is playing with us. Isaiah sees him and he is high and lifted up is what, the, what it says in the King James. 
This, this throne is set above all others. There is no other God equal to or near our God. He is on a high throne. And this is significant because it's indicative of who he is. And Isaiah is trying to, to help the reader understand just what he's seeing, just what he's experiencing. It goes on to say in verse two, seraphim were attending to God, seraphim. Now, uh, seraphim were different than cherubs or cherubim. Uh, cherubs are what you see on greeting cards or painted um, in a child's nursery sometimes. They are the little chubby angels that look like babies, you know. It's like a baby with some wings and they're like just adorable and cute and precious and you just want to squeeze their cheeks. That's not seraphim. Seraphim were terrifying. Seraphim, um, seraphim would probably scare you to death if, uh, if this kind of angel showed up in your bedroom tonight. It would freak you out. We don't have a, a firm physical description of seraphim other than we see these six wings. Six, they covered their face, or two, they covered their face, two, they covered their feet, and two, they flew, flew with. But if, and we don't have time to get into it, but if you look at the definition of seraphim, the literal word, um, they were terrifying. And we see these terrifying figures, these otherworldly figures surrounding the throne of God, worshiping God, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's army. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Now we've talked about this word a little in the past. The, the literal translation here is the word kadosh. And kadosh, um, it means sacred, holy, the holy one, a saint set apart. It's, it's all these things. But, but the word I think is interesting is its root word. It comes from this word, kadash. And kadash means sanctify, to consecrate, prepare. And this is where we get to set, set apart. This is the same thing. Sanctify means to set apart. It is different than. It's set aside. It is special. To consecrate, prepare, dedicate, be hallowed, be holy, be sanctified, to separate, to set apart. This is who God is. He is set apart. The angels surrounded him and they said, holy, holy, holy. Now this is the interesting part. They said, God, you are set apart. Well, who is God set apart from? Everyone and everything. He is set apart from all of creation. Everything you can imagine, everything you can experience, our God is set apart from that. He is special from that. We can't begin to fathom this because we are so ingrained in our world in what we feel and see and, and experience that it's hard for us to fathom this. So, so God is set apart from everything. He is special, he is unique, he is holy. <laughs> If I ask you if you're a good husband or a good dad, you might be able to say yes, and you are comparing yourself to somebody else. I'm not great, but I'm better than, right? Are you a good mom? Are you a good employee? Well, yes, I mean, I'm not awesome, but I'm better than. Now, now think about this. There is no one to compare God to except God. Okay, this is getting a little philosophical. Well, think about this for a second. There is no one near God. There is no one close to God. He is high and lifted up on a throne all his own. He is holy, 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 set apart. There is no one to, co to, to compare God to except himself. 
Because he is the standard of holiness. He is the standard of righteousness. He is the standard of goodness. He is the standard of kindness. He is the standard of love. There is none like him. It's interesting because this word that we see here, the, the kadash, it's the same word we see earlier when it says worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. In his holiness, in his kadash, we see how special, how unique, how different he is than anything else we can experience in this life. And it drives us to worship him. See, when we talk about holy there's several parts of this word, but God is sinless. So think about it this way. If God is sinless, it means he has no fault. He's never done anything wrong. He's never made a mistake. He's never forgotten anything. He is unlike anybody you or I know. And because he is holy because he is sinless. Because, let me say it this way, because he's pure, he's different than anything we know. See, we have this misperception of God at times that, that maybe he is not who we think he is, but that is a problem with us and our, and our vision more than it is a problem with him because our God is morally pure. His, his holiness is so integrated into his identity that if we imagine God as anything but holy, we're, we're doing a disservice to God and we're actually imagining a completely different God. That is not who he is because our God is perfect. Our God never makes a mistake. So when we experience pain in our lives and we attribute it to God making a mistake, we are worshiping a different God at that point. When we lose our job and we say, well, I prayed that God would help me keep my job. There must be a problem with God. No, there is no problem with God. God is holy. He is pure. There is no fault in him. And when we see God in the wrong way, it shifts our own hearts and it pulls us away from who he is. A.W. Tozer, a pillar of the church, theologian, author, preacher, he said this, Talking about God. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being, being other than it is. He can't be unholy because he's holy. He can't do you wrong because he's holy. He can't show up late because he's holy. He can't forget you because he is holy. All of these things come back to his holiness. See, we think holiness is a part of who God is, like goodness or graciousness or mercy, but I want you to understand this. Um, we think if you divided God up, these are the parts of who God is. But everything God is comes back to and is derived from his holiness. He is first and foremost holy. Everything else is, is derived from his holiness. So every attribute that you see in God that you love, it began with his holiness. We'll come back to that thought in just a minute as we finish up. Verse four, 
of Isaiah 6. It says that their voices, talking about the angels who were crying, holy, 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 their voices shook the temple to its foundation and the entire building was filled with smoke. Now, if the entire building at Summit or in Blairsville filled with smoke, we would get out of here as fast as possible, right? That's a problem. We want to be able to see, breathe. Um, and so our context is a little off. What we see here are a couple of ideas and we don't see it explicitly spelled out in scripture. There's a couple things that are at play here. The first is, anytime you approached the temple, you would see smoke rising up. And there was smoke rising up uh, because there was incense being burned on the altar and it was a sweet fragrance and it represents the prayers and the glory of God. We see uh, that the that God took on the form of a pillar of a cloud by day. Um, and some people, scholars would say that was a pillar of smoke, um, but it was a pillar of cloud. Um, and what we see in the book of Revelation is a very similar idea to what we see here in Isaiah in Revelation 15, eight. It says the temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. So no matter what you attribute this to, you have to understand this was an overwhelming experience for Isaiah. He's seeing all these things happening. He's experiencing it. And the smoke is filling and he's thinking back through what he's learned and what he's been taught. And he's trying to interpret all these experiences through his feelings and his emotions and his knowledge of who God is. And it's probably overwhelming. And in that moment, he says, it's all over. I'm doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Now this feels like a weird time to throw out a confession, doesn't it? Like you're in the middle of this, you would think that this would be a time to go, excuse me, God, while I've got you here. There's a few things that I've been petitioning you for that I haven't heard back about, right? God, when are you gonna get back to me about the raise at work? I've, I've been very concerned. Can you give me an update on that? Lord, I, I, there were some things I ordered for Christmas that didn't get here and the company won't return. Can you give me any idea when that shipment's going to arrive, right? Like there's a whole list of things that we pray about that maybe in that moment when we're face to face with God, we might say to God, I can think of a whole list of things that I might say to God in that moment, but not very high on the list, probably toward the bottom would be, hey, I'm a horrible sinner, God, right? That would not be, if I was scripting it out, what I would necessarily say to God. But reading this made me think, Jesus said in Luke chapter six, he said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. The New King James Version says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And applying it to our, our lives today, I would say our language is evidence of what lives in our heart. The things I say is evidence of what is residing in me. You go, well, this is weird. Isaiah was a prophet. And you're saying he immediately spills out, I am a sinful man, right? I've got unclean lips. Yeah. We've, we've talked about this in the past. We think when it comes to holiness, the closer we get to God, the more holy we are. Like we take a step toward God and we go, oh, I'm even more holy now. Woo I can feel it. 
And we go to freedom classes or freedom groups or freedom retreat, or we go to small groups and we learn about God and we get a little closer to God and we go, oh, I can feel it. Ooh. And you start talking in the King James, henceforth, brothers and sisters, like that's holiness, right? But this is kind of the opposite. The, the, the closer we get to God, the more the light of God is shining and illuminating our lives. And every dark nook and cranny in our heart is exposed. So every, every hidden thought, every hidden feeling, everything that maybe we weren't even aware of, the, the sinful portions of our lives that maybe we've tucked away and forgotten about, the Holy Spirit illuminates that and we go, oh gosh, okay, I'm not as holy as I thought. God, have your way with me. God, I'm a sinful man. God, I've got unclean lips. God, I've got unclean desires. God, I'm prideful. God, whatever it might be. And we take a step toward God and we go, oh gosh, oh, I'm a sinner. Does that make sense to anybody? Because the closer we get to God, the more his holiness is put on display and the more our lack of holiness is put on display as well. See, being in proximity to God creates a self-awareness in us. Being close to God helps us see how sinful we really are. And this is one of the issues. So many people are just floating by in their relationship with God. And the reason is because they never get close to God. They go to church, but they never get close to God. Did you know God is here right now? The presence of God is here right now. The difference is, are you aware of it or unaware of it? When you get in your car, when we're finished here in just a little bit, the presence of God is with you. When you go to work on Monday, the presence of God is with you. The, the question is, are you aware of it or not? Because being aware of God's presence brings us to confession before it brings us to praise. See, we think we're in God's presence, it's time to praise. Maybe, but what we see in Isaiah that brings him to confession. He's aware of God's presence. He's aware of God's holiness. And he goes, oh Lord, oh, you deserve glory. You deserve honor. You deserve praise. But, but I am unworthy to praise you. Here's what's going on. Here, here's the condition of my heart. We recognize that when we're in proximity to God. When I, when I was studying for this message, there's a passage that kept coming back. And we'll probably touch on this a few times over the next few weeks. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, <laughs> Jesus says this in verse, I mean, I'm sorry, Peter says this in verse 15. He says, but now you must be holy in everything you do. That, that's a tall standard, right? You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. I just said a minute ago that God's standard of holiness is himself. And what Peter says is, you must be holy, and the standard for holiness is God. You're like, wait a second. I didn't sign up for this. I can't do that. I can't be that nice, right? I can't do the things I need to do. You're still thinking about behavior modification. That's not what we're interested in. We're interested in, in life transformation, making every life different. He goes on to say in verse 16, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. God says this several times, especially in the book of Leviticus. You must be holy because I am holy. Now again, don't think about it as perfection. 
Think about it this way. We are set apart just in the same way God is set apart. God is unlike any other. And the the spirit of God in you is unlike any other. God wants to use you in ways he can't use anyone else. He wants to do things in and through you that he can't do through anyone else. See, we believe that the pursuit of holiness is the same as the pursuit of perfection. And this isn't the case. The pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of God because God is holy. So when we say, God, make us holy, what we're saying is, God, make me like you. God, I wanna be like you and I I wanna take some of the pressure off you. You will never be like God. Never, ever. It's never gonna happen. But that does not keep us from pursuing God because it's not about the end game. Hey, am I gonna become holy? I'm just gonna hover everywhere I go, right? That's not what it's about. It's not about our behavior. It's about intimacy with God. When we pursue God and we draw close to him, there's something powerful that happens in our lives. See, it's about my position in God, not my behavior with God. So holiness is not just about our sin or the rules that we break or don't break. And this is what we think holiness is. Well, I sinned, I'm not holy. And that's part of it. But really, holiness is about honoring God with our whole lives. Saying, God, every part of my life is yours. I'm gonna honor you because you are holy. So God, I am yours. It's how we treat the people in our lives. Every person in your life, not just the ones you like. How do we treat them? Because that is a reflection on how we view God. We'll talk more about that idea next week. Some of you are like, I'm not coming next week. (laughs) Forget that. But how do we treat people? Because how we treat them (laughs) indicates how we view God. Do we really believe God is holy? Do we really believe he is who he says he is? See, holiness is more about loving people. And holiness is about abstaining from sin. This is what I want you to hear. I grew up in a church that was like hellfire and brimstone. Turn or burn. I mean, I've told you before, I got saved like 30,000 times before I graduated high school because every time I had a bad thought, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to hell. That's not how it works, okay? I just want to help you with that. So we, we were big on holiness, but it was more legalistic holiness than it was relational holiness. Um, See, we we don't abstain from sin because we'll go to hell. I think negative stimulus is not as powerful as positive stimulus. Punishment is not as powerful as love, ultimately. So when we fear God as a God who will send us to hell if we don't behave, we are missing a huge part of who God is. Because all we see is the righteousness of God in a very narrow lens, but we miss how good and just and loving and benevolent our God is. So abstaining from sin is not about missing heaven or going to hell. Abstaining from sin is more about what we forfeit when we sin. And what we forfeit when we sin is the opportunity to be like God. See, when I... When I sin, and there's a couple kinds of sin, there's a kind that we do, um, we make a mistake. 
We, we say something we shouldn't. We go, oh, I repent of that. God, make me holy. Help me, God. Help my heart. And then there's unrepentant sin. And unrepentant sin is the sin that goes, eh, I think I'm smarter than God. This isn't that big a deal. I can always ask forgiveness and God will forgive me. Okay, that's unrepentant sin. And unrepentant sin, um, it prevents us from living holy lives because what effectively we're doing is saying, hey, I don't wanna be like God because remember, there is no sin in God. He is pure, he is perfect. So in that moment, we're making a decision and saying, I don't wanna be like God. I, I want some of God, but I really wanna do my thing. And what happens is that the consequence ultimately is hell Ultimately, is there is no life in us, but, but the, the real consequence is we forfeit intimacy with God, and that's where true life happens. See, the problem is so many Christians are, Christians are going to church, and they're going through the motions, and they're doing all the things they're supposed to do, but there's no life in us because we stop pursuing a holy God. We like God, we just don't want a holy God. We want to be like a God like we like, but we don't want to be like the God in the Bible, because that feels difficult and challenging. Well, let me make it a little easier for you. Um, if I asked you to describe someone who was holy, remember, if you were pursuing holiness, you're pursuing God, because God is holy. So let, let me put it this way. If you were going to describe someone who is Christ-like, you said, man, they, they remind me of Christ. What are some things you'd say? You might say, they're, they're good, they're morally good, they're kind, they're faithful, they show up when they're supposed to, they do what they say they're gonna do. They're patient, they don't fly off the handle. They're joyful, they're fun to be around, people you want in your life. There's somebody who is not prone to wrath, but maybe you could call gentle. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Because in Galatians chapter five, this is what, this is what Paul says to the Galatian church. He said, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He said, this is what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Do you know what that sounds suspiciously like? It's the character of God. And it all comes back to his holiness. So what happens? Well, do we just white knuckle it and go, I'm gonna be holy, I'm gonna stop sinning? Well, there's part of that in there, but really what we have to do is start saying, God, I wanna be like you. I'm gonna pursue holiness because I'm pursuing you and you are holy. And God, as I pursue you and as I am convicted about things in my life and as I th see things in my life that aren't pleasing to you, that are contrary to your word and I lay those things down, God, I, I'm gonna have this fruit bursting out of my life. I'm always suspicious of people who call themselves Christians who don't seem to have the fruit of the Spirit evident in their lives. Because what it tells me is they might go to church, but they don't, they're not pursuing God. This is the thing. Galatians 5.22, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Did you see what it says? The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. We don't produce the fruit. We are not the fruit, fruit producers. We can't make ourselves holy. What we have to do is create an environment where the fruit can grow. So we say, hey, the things I can control, I'm gonna control. Hey, I'm not gonna put myself in position to sin unnecessarily. I'm not gonna 
test the Holy Spirit and go, well, I, can, I don't understand why the Holy Spirit didn't help me not sin. It's like, because you were being an idiot, right? So, so I'm gonna do what I need to do. I'm gonna guard my heart. I'm gonna put myself in the right position and stay out of the wrong positions. I'm gonna make sure I'm doing what I can do, controlling what I can control. And then I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit produce the fruit in my life that he wants to produce. See, we don't make ourselves holy, but we prepare our hearts for God to make us holy. Remember what I said, holiness, the earlier definition, set apart. Kim talked about this a little at uh, She Is uh, last year now. Wow, that's weird. In 2021 at She Is, she talked about how we have dishes and we've got special dishes at our house that we only use once a year. Thank goodness we've got them because we have these very special Thanksgiving meals right? I'm not using them for leftover pizza or meatloaf. I'm not putting them in the microwave. Like they are hand washed. They're set in a separate cabinet. They are different. They're not like the Tupperware jobs that we just throw away at, on, you know, oh, this one's messed up. We throw the plate away, right? It is special. It is unique. It's used for special things. <laughs> um, I'm going to, I can say this about one of our staff because they're not here this weekend. Um, <laughs> Pastor Kendall Kersey. I love Pastor Kendall. He does a great job with our young adults. And in fact, this weekend they're away at a conference, a passion conference. We'll be praying for them. Um, Pastor Kendall has some very special shoes. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble later. <laughs> These are shoes he only wears inside. And I think he only wears them inside the church. They're his holy shoes. They are shoes that are special and unique. They cost a little more than a normal pair of tennis shoes. He treats them a little better than I would my shoes. And he, he never wears them outside. He only wears them indoors. Why? Because they are special to him. And he said, I don't want to get these messy. I don't want to get them dirty. I don't want to the, wear these out because they're special to me. So I'm going to set them apart when I was growing up, played basketball, um, junior high and high school, and there was always a big sign in the, in the new gym, in our nice gym, and the sign said, no street shoes on the court. And what they're trying to say is, we don't want you to track all the junk that you've been walking through into this gym and on this court, because this court needs to be played on basketball, right? We spend a lot of money on this court, and this is for the games and the practices. So the only thing you can wear on these courts are basketball shoes, so wear your basketball shoes, but don't you dare track everything you've been through onto this court. What are they saying? This is special. So don't treat it as if it's not special. And this is one of the problems we get into as Christians is so many times we have, well, we have treated things as holy that weren't, and we've treated things that were holy as if they were profane. Let me read another passage to you. Let me go back to Isaiah 6.2. I mentioned the seraphim. Let me go in a little more detail. It said the seraphim in verse 2, each having six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And I believe this is representative of a couple things. Number one, they covered their faces. This is a sign of, of reverence. They revered God. So if you want to live a holy life, these are some basics 
that, that we'll build on, that we'll talk through a little bit over the next few weeks. But we revere God. See, Moses had a reverence for God. He, he had a holy fear. He knew who God was, but he revered him. There was intimacy there. There was relationship there. But he also knew this guy could end my life in a second. But he revered him. See, the angels, they cover their faces because they said, we're not worthy to look at. We're not worthy to set our eyes upon. So they covered their faces with their wings. They revered God. And in the world we live in today, there's not a lot of reverence for a holy God. We, we've made God into our image instead of saying, God, make us into your image. We have dumbed down the holiness of God it's just so we'll be more comfortable and make it approachable for us. When in reality, if we could have an experience like Isaiah had, we would probably react the same way. We're sinners. We have unclean lips. We're, we're in a nation of people with unclean lips. We need to begin to revere God, honor God in our everyday lives. Honor him in your workplace. Honor him in your personal life. Honor him with your finances. Honor him in every area and say, God, you are holy, so I'm gonna put you first. I'm gonna honor you. I'm gonna revere you. Second thing is this, remove the profane. Profane is, I started not to use this word profane because it sounds so churchy, doesn't it? It's profane. Profane just means common. So it's the opposite of sacred. It's the opposite of holy. It's just common. See, there were holy things that could only be handled by, by the priests and by people who were, were clean. And then there were profane things that if the priests handled would prevent them from handling holy things. Does that make sense? And too many times, people who claim to be holy handle profane things, and then they can't understand why God won't use us. Well, I don't understand. And this is what I want you to understand. Um, pro something being profane doesn't necessarily mean it's sinful. It just is common. It is just something that, that, that pulls us away from the holiness of God. Oh, I'm about to meddle in your life. It might be your favorite show. Well, man, it's just a little bit of nudity. It's not that bad. I mean, it's, it's not causing me to sin. Okay, well, let's say it's not causing you to sin. Is it, is it causing you to be more holy? Well, Mel, I mean, I don't cuss when I'm at church. And here's what I want you to hear. If you use the F word, I don't think you're going to hell. It's not like a chute opens underneath you and shoom, you go right there. That's not how that works. But my question is, um, are you attempting to be holy and handling profane things? Because maybe it's not sinful, but it's preventing you from, from handling holy things, doing what God wants you to do. And because we're unwilling to lay some of the profane, common things down, we're forfeiting God's best for our lives. So what we have to do, just like the angels did, they covered their feet and the feet were profane. They were common, they were dirty. This is how people got around. They were walking and their feet were gross. You think feet are gross now? They were really gross back then. They're disgusting. So what did the angels do? They covered their feet because they were common. They were profane. And I think God doesn't want us to cover the profane because too many years in churches, we've been covering the profane. We've been protecting like, uh, pretending like it's not there. Oh, no, 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 everything's fine. We're holy. All we're doing is covering it. No, no, God says, remove it. Get it out of your life. 
Set it apart, set it aside, because I've got something better for you. And the third thing is this. We see the, the last pair of wings with two they flew. They flew around the throne of God, worshiping him. They moved. They were moving and worshiping. This is a case to be made for Pentecostal worship um, because we see the angels of the Lord here. They were moving and they were active and they were crying out, holy, holy, holy. They weren't just standing. They weren't just waiting. They were moving. They were active. And I'm going to make light of this, but I want you to know um, our worship is active. And I don't mean just what we do here before I preach during the song part. Like we're going to sing and you better be moving. Like, okay, I'm going to sway my hips a little bit. It's weird because um, when we used to have a camera back over here during worship, uh, they would put the camera shot over there and I would see myself like moving and I'd be like, I am the whitest, soulless person ever. I can't dance at all, right? Because I like to move. I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying you have to move during worship. What I'm saying is there should be some action in your life. God wants to move you and propel you forward to do something for the glory of God. And that is worship. When when you share your faith, when you pursue God, these are all acts of worship. God says, move, get going, do something. I'll finish with this in Isaiah Chapter six, verse one, the very first verse we started with. Isaiah said, I was, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. I mentioned this in 2020, but I'd done some reading and I'd found in ancient times, it was not uncommon for a victorious or conquering king to take the robe of the conquered king and cut off a portion and have that sewn on to his robe. And what would happen is over time, you would begin to see um, how prolific your king was because of all the victories your king had won. And so when a, a guest would walk into the throne room and they would see the train of his robe, they would see all the victories he had won. They knew who they were dealing with in that moment. They knew, look at all the the nations they've conquered. Look at all the kingdoms that have been overthrown from this king. This king must be powerful. See, we don't get that in our context today, but Isaiah's readers, they would have gotten it. They would have understood that. And I want you to hear this. Our God... (laughs) is not some lifeless, powerless God. The train of his robe filled the temple. There is no enemy that he has not conquered. Some of you are facing some enemies and you're going, God, can you? And the answer is yes. The train of his robe filled the temple. There was no more space in the temple because of all the victories he's won, how powerful our God is, how strong he is, how mighty our God is. And I wanna comfort you with that. But, but let me back up. It really doesn't matter how powerful our God is if he's not good. Because I've known some people who had some power, but they didn't have character. And they were a nightmare. See, our our God is powerful. He is all powerful. There is none who could contend with our God, but our God is also good. In fact, he's not just good. He is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. 
See, we can trust him. We don't have to be like the Israelites who were terrified of the smoke and the ram's horn and, and say, no, 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 hey, Moses, you go. We can say, God, I see how powerful you are. I see how strong you are. But, but I also know how holy you are. And because I know you're holy, I know I can trust you because you are good. I believe my assignment for this weekend was to help you see how good our God is. Because I think some of you, maybe you're questioning right now the goodness of God because of some things you've been through, some things that have happened to you. And I want you to know our God is holy. And if he is holy, it means he is good because he is pure. He is righteous. There is no fault in him. So I want you to know that. And I want you to remember that. I want you to anchor yourself in that. God, you are powerful. But God, you are good. I know I can trust you. Right now, I'm going to turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're going to give you an opportunity to respond, and they're going to close out the rest of this message. I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. You know, um, tonight's been a pretty hard message, if we're going to be honest. Just kind of getting your business. What I want to do, man, this year I want to wreck fake Christianity. The Christianity that makes us feel good because we come to church, but it's lacking any kind of potency or power when we leave here. I want to wreck that. I I don't want a single person who calls Summit Church home to to be infected with that kind of Christianity. I, I want our faith in Christ to be so real and so authentic that we are daily moving toward God, that we are pursuing him, that we're saying, God, I I am pursuing holiness because I'm pursuing you. God, make me more like you. You might be able to go to, to heaven without going to the extent that we're talking about today, but I don't know. But I do know this, you'll never be used by God. You're never going to be Christ-like unless we just say, God, my life is yours. I'm fully submitted to you. Everything in my life is yours. I want to use it and leverage it to honor and glorify you because I recognize you are holy. There is none like you. I told Kim this week, thinking about the holiness of God, we'll talk about it more next week, but even when I make a choice that is contrary to who God is, What I'm really doing is questioning the holiness of God. Is God really holy? And he is, he's good. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. I'm not gonna embarrass anybody. I just wanna pray with you. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all this place. Lord, thank you. Oh, thank you that you are holy. Thank you that you are righteous. Lord, I'm grateful that you give us an opportunity to pursue you and to know you. That God, you are powerful. You are a king who has conquered all comers. But God, you're our friend. You're our comforter. God, remind us of that. God, I pray for those that are struggling right now that maybe they've started to question your goodness. Remind them, help them see that you are good. In spite of what they feel, in spite of what they've experienced, you are good. 
God, I pray for those that are here that maybe have gone through the motions and maybe we've done the religious stuff, but the truth is um, maybe we're pursuing legalism more than we are holiness. And I pray that you would show us that. Reveal that to us. And I pray that our hearts would change, our hearts would be made different and, and we would be transformed by your spirit. So with nobody looking around with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God, but I know I need to be. I recognize that I'm not pursuing holiness. I'm not really pursuing God. And maybe you're here and you recognize you've been pursuing legalism. I'm gonna go to church and make God like me. I'm gonna say this prayer and make God like me. But you recognize you're not really pursuing holiness. Would, would you surrender your life to Christ? Truly surrender your life to Christ? Say, God, everything I am is yours. My life, my breath, my talent, my abilities, my finances, my possessions, my relationships, everything I am, I wanna leverage to honor you and glorify you. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you. If you'd like to be included in that prayer, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you'd say, I'll pray for me. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Praise God. Praise God. Who else would say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me. All right, I'd like every person in this place, every person watching online, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Um, Book of Romans tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So would you... Would you just pray this prayer out loud, but don't just repeat it mindlessly like a robot. I want you to pray this from your soul. So pray this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to pay the penalty for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is yours. Use every part of my life for your glory. Make me holy as you are holy. I turn away from my old life and I turn away from the common things that I've embraced. I am yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture tells us you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And the simplest thing for you to do, whether you raised your hand or not, would be to simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. Let us know about your decision. And we're gonna respond back to you and help you take the next step. If you're here in the room and you prefer, you can simply take the card out of the seat back in front of you, um, fill it out, and then stop by the information center. Give it to them. They're gonna help you take the next step. They're gonna give you a new Bible and help you on your journey. So thank you guys so much for being here and responding and praying and letting God deal with your heart. Here's what's gonna happen now. Um, team's gonna lead us in one more song. And the team is Pastor Todd. That's all you need when he's on your team. He's gonna lead us in one final song. We're gonna worship together. And while we're doing that, some of our prayer team is gonna join me here at the front of this room, some of our staff who are available. And they're gonna be here to pray with you no matter what your need is. So as we're worshiping together, I would encourage you, come let one of our team pray with you. Maybe you just wanna let the Holy Spirit deal with your heart. Maybe there's some things that, that maybe the Holy Spirit was pressing on while I was preaching that you recognize, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you wanna do? God, what do you wanna say? How do you wanna change me? And then ask him and he'll show you, I promise. And then after we're dismissed in just a moment, um, our prayer team's gonna be available. If you would like prayer, please wait as long as you would like. And if you just wanna sit in the room and pray, and pursue God, seek God, sit in his presence, whatever you'd like to do, I would encourage you to do that for as long as you'd like. But I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. Stay in your feet. Let's worship one more time. God bless you.